just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. The legend continues. Cardi in the garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Waff. I've always liked a good number two overtime. Boom. Well, look, everybody, surprise. We have one more number two for you. Yeah. And just when you thought it was safe to go back in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> there was your lead in for Jaws, too, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, shit. Ironically, outside of my one little peek in moment from the first Jaws while I was seeing the Apple Dumpling Gang, this was the first Jaws movie I saw in its entirety in the movie theater. And holy shit, did I love this movie. It is Jaws 2. You know, I, I mean, I, I can't believe that I maybe have seen this movie as many times as I've seen the original. Oh, me too. I, I would say easily and like look i'm not gonna lie and say it, it's as good as or i like it as much as it's original. no right because it's a diff but it's on its own merit it is the second best movie about a killer shark ever ever yeah i'm sorry and you as funny as it, here's and to say that i've seen it just as much as the original jaws let me say this i had to watch jaws more to catch up with how many times i'd seen jaws too me too. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I've seen Jaws 2 more times in a theater or drive-in than I've seen Jaws. I would say I've seen them just as many times, but it took a reissue like seven years ago before, <laughs> before like six years ago. Yeah, I've seen, and I've seen Jaws in a theater uh, with the exception of last year and probably this year. Uh, I had for five years straight, I had been on location and, and went and had seen it in a, in a revival theater, wherever I was at Ohio or New Orleans, wherever I was happened to be because everybody and their mother this weekend, uh, screens Jaws. So yeah, you know, might be getting close at this point, but I saw this several times <laughs> at a drive-in and I saw it in the theater, um, in a, in a, in a darkened big ass movie theater. You know, what's really funny about this movie and we talked about how different it is already. We just kind of lean word one single line about how different it is. And it is, it's a very different movie. It may have a big two on it. It may be playing, taking place on Amity. You may, you may recognize all these faces from the first movie, but this is a draft. This is as different of a movie that, that like aliens was from alien. Yeah. You know, you have the same elements, but it's, it's a different movie. This movie as crazy it is to fathom, and a lot of people share this this uh, view of it. This movie is a slasher movie. <laughs> oh, I do it's hundred percent. The shark is the knife wielding killer. It's the shape, whatever you want to call it. Four months, right? Four months before yes. the original Halloween. Two and a half years before uh, the first Friday the Thirteenth. Before Mrs. Voorhees started setting up her kid as a serial killer, right? I, and what would I jokingly say to you in text form? I said, what is Sean, how does Sean Cunningham pitch his Friday the 13th movie? Well, instead of an avenging shark, it's an avenging mother. Right. 
It's the same fucking movie. Jaws 2 goes to camp, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Enclosed ocean. <laughs> no, you get the enclosed ocean in Jaws 3. <laughs> right. There, there, that's, that, that one came in 83. <laughs> the opening of this movie. Uh, well, first of all, Jean O'Schwark, the direct, you know, who wasn't the original director, he was brought in after, um, uh, you know, I don't know if John D. Hancock, who was the original director, I don't know if it was a mutual parting of the ways, but I feel like, you know, they shot a couple of weeks and they said, oh, you know, you're just not really the guy to uh, be directing this action movie. Uh, maybe. And so did he step down? Was he asked to leave? Who knows? John O'Schwark, you know, who was a veteran, a young and already a veteran of lots of television um, came in. And, but man, dude, how much do you love that opening shot of this when they're, you know, we're down and they're, you know, we're seeing this beautiful, like the bottom of the ocean and divers are down there and come across this boat wreck, dude. And what happened to your heart when they fucking, when they, yes. when they pan up and you realize you're looking at the orca. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. I mean, God yeah. damn it. What a great opening. That was, yeah, that was rough. And you, you, they, you, they don't realize until the photographs come back later on of those divers and they're shooting photographs that you knew we find out what it is. Um, well, well, Brody finds out what it is. It's just like, oh, you pointed out something and I wanted to kind of, kind of lean on that about the director change. Um, we talked a little bit about this when we covered Burt Reynolds movies and we covered stick and the difficulties that Mr. Steinberg had with Burt Reynolds. Right. Uh, from my understanding, doing a little research on it, that was a very similar situation, except for there was actually a replacement here. I guess they weren't particularly fond of the dark tone of the movie that they were going for, that uh, that Hancock had shot. Right. I'm like, well, that would have been fun to see a little bit darker, but damn, dude, I don't care because whatever they did, they did in the right order because what Jonu brings to the table fucking rocks. Yeah, man. He literally came in and hit all the right notes. Yep. Not only is it its own movie, other than, you know, having some of the, having the same characters be set in the same location, but it is very much its own movie. Yeah. You know, you could, you could take the two away from this movie, erase everybody's memory and show them this and they would not know, you know, they wouldn't realize it was a sequel except for, you know, when Brody's going down that rabbit hole, his whole madness. Right. This movie could stand on its own is what I'm saying. Right. The things that they brought to this movie, I, it's weird. Maybe I, I feel like this movie really feels like summer, right? Yes. You know, it just kind of takes you right. Like you, I think you and I are talking about this off mic. Kids, the parents, the whole vibe there on Amity Island. Um, it really is a time capsule, right? Like yeah. everybody's not beautiful. Everybody's not manicured. Kids have goofy facial hair, you know, when you're 16, you get that terrible mustache, bushy sideburns, right. <laughs> bad hair, bad glass, you know, but everybody looks real. Nobody looks coiffed or styled. Right. And that's one of the things I think that re they painted this really great, you know, this is like a time capsule for the mid seventies. Yeah. Um, and it literally everything, all the slasher movies that came after this really kind of copied all that shit. Right. Up until like later in the late eighties, early nineties, when, you know, people started, you know, having form fitting clothes and perfect haircuts, right. <laughs> the cast of kids in this, you could have just plucked people from this and gone right on to make Friday the 13th. Yeah, for sure. There's something else too, that really sells. And I know it sounds funny to, to talk about this, but we have talked, well, we have mentioned this before about Steven Spielberg and his choice of going for intimacy in almost every movie and in almost every scene where you're seeing characters on the screen. 
you usually see his wide stuff, you know, just for, for establishing shots. This movie is lensed by Michael Butler and what he does in this movie, this movie's a big fat 235 and no joke, man. He uses the scope in a big way. Oh yeah. And you see the ocean, man. Does, if that's what you're talking about, if not only is it different than the first movie and where it's all about intimacy and the characters, you still get in that character action here, but man, you're seeing how big that ocean is and you and, and man, it's, Fuck, I mean, it was almost right away. You're getting that really close-up stuff right in the beginning with that initial dive. But once they come out of the water, once the, you know, the shark kind of makes its way and, and we follow, um, we pick up Brody, right? Coming across on the ferry. Yep. It goes wide again. And once it goes daybreak, it stays wide the whole way. Even even in those intimate moments where, or the, uh, the character moments, they're really super wide. That's what really helps sell what a different feeling movie it is too. Yeah. We talked about how great the movie looks too. You watch the Blu-ray. I had to, my Blu-ray I never owned for some reason, but came a little bit late. So I had to rent it. And I'm pretty sure based on what I saw, this is the same transfer. I don't remember it ever looking this good. No. And it's beautiful looking. And it, even though it looks great, there's no noise reduction. The green is all there. And like in some scenes from another, and and I mentioned this to you and I didn't, it wasn't a knock on it at all. You sometimes you're, you're seeing a little bit of scratches and stuff like that. It's not, it's not perfectly, you know, punched up like in your typical studio movie. This feels like a big budgeted indie in a lot of ways. You mentioned the director hitting all the right notes. Clearly the images follow suit back along with all these faces you recognize is some music that you recognize. John Williams is back doing the entire score up until I saw the movie tonight or, or last night. I had always assumed that it was his theme only as somebody handled the other heavy lifting of the movie. And boy, Oh no. There was one point where I said, I'm like going, man, this guy's doing a killer John Williams drift, right? <laughs> well, I'm like, Oh, it's a good reason for that. <laughs> He did so much in 1978. He did this. He did the Fury, which again, one of these days we're going to cover that because that movie's fucking rocks. And of course, Superman, the movie for Dick Donner. But yeah, his score fucking excels here. Well, one of the reasons I, you know, is Zanuck and Brown being super hands-on with Jaws too, right? Right. I think they were literally there camped out in Florida with everybody else the entire eight months or however long they were there, man. Right. They started shooting, I think, in March of 77 and didn't wrap until February of 78. There were hurricanes, the changing of director. Again, Bruce the shark not cooperating like he should. There were lots of obstacles making this film. And I feel like that's part of the reason why it's so maligned is because of all of the stories and, you know, the troubles while they're shooting this and the fact that it probably went over budget and, you know, it certainly went over its, you know, allotted shoot days and who in the hell shoots a movie for 11 months. And, you know, so I'm sure all of that bad press going into it probably soured a lot of people on it or, or, you know, or gave, gave gives this film a, an undeserved reputation for being bad, which it's not right at all. We, we talked briefly about trade and text when you were watching it the other day. And one of the things that we, you asked me was why does this movie get shit on? And we realized that like the same reason that two of the other movies that we talked about this month got shit on 
Scary Movie 2, I think it's just a bad word of mouth. Scary Movie 2 was like that. And Grease 2. Grease 2. Yeah. It's just bad word of mouth in that, oh, it doesn't compare to the original. I'm like, oh, did you even fucking see the movie? Right. Oh, right. Just because that's a thing too. I, I, I really wish, you, and we look at, we talk about Empire Strikes Back briefly before we got a mic about, about, you know, it, we're questioning, was Jaws 2 like the most highest grossing sequel ever? And actually it was up until uh, Rocky 2 came out the next year. Oh. Empire and Jedi, they're, they're extensions of the same story. Right. I don't really look at them as a sequel. They're a trilogy. They work together. Right. Jaws 2 works on its own. Like you talked about, it's its own movie. Jaws 3, a little bit of relationship to the second one, but it's more relationship to the characters and not so much what happened in the second movie. I've loved this movie since the day I saw it. And, you know, there's moments in there. There's like, the, I mean, there's like, there's a non-shark moment in this that scared the shit out of me. Just like there was in the original. Oh, yeah. Dreyfus has his moment in the first movie and, and Schneider gets his moment in this one. And boy, man, that, I mean, it works so well. Another thing that's really fun about this, there are two things that you see in this. You see the charred shark, shark. after the boating accident in the very beginning. There, the, he causes he attacks the, the skier that you see on the DVD cover and then the main poster that came out. We should talk a little bit in depth about that ski sequence too yes. before uh, before we you know bump off of this. But yes, no, no, no. Scorch continue about the scorch shark because yeah, I thought that was awesome. The scorched shark and the remnants of the killer whale that they discovered that's been beached. Those two things were sitting off to the side just before the original Jaws attraction at Universal Hollywood. Yeah. Before there was ever Universal Orlando. It was called Universal Studios. It didn't say Hollywood because it didn't. It was the only one. It was only Hollywood. It was the only one. And when you pulled up, you could see the charred Bruce that was on the side. And I thought that was fucking rad. They kept it there for a really long time. And they never pointed it out on the tram. Which I always thought was really funny. And I, but we used to go a lot when I'd go in this uh, summer camp that I was part of. And we'd go probably twice a summer. And, and I, I always liked I And mean, when it was gone one year, I was like, I was so bummed out. But it, I nobody ever appreciated how cool it was. I'm like, look, look, because nobody had seen the movie. Right. <laughs> and I never understood that. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I know a, a lot of people who have, people like our age have all seen Jaws 2. Uh, people who are a little younger than us always shit on Jaws, Jaws 2. And then there's everybody else after them who just have, <laughs> they know Jaws mostly because they think that they should see it because somebody in film school told them to see it or or whatever. Right. Or it's, but nobody talks about Jaws 2. It's really weird. But that killer whale, dude, how cool is that killer whale? There's a, you'll see it when you, uh, I'm just going to pitch if you, if, if you want to spend eight bucks and buy the Blu-ray, just <laughs> yes. do it. Cause I'm trying not to spoil all the shit on it right now, but right. Uh, you know, Joe Alves, a production designer, his team, they built that killer whale and they, he kind of goes into detail about the process of building it. And then there's, a, he tells a funny story about dailies, how universal was seeing them before they were actually seeing them. So, you know, they were getting complaints about the shininess of the killer whale <laughs> Have you ever been to SeaWorld, dude? <laughs> Correct. That's what he says. He says, well, we, we just try to make it real like Shamu. So, you know, they're they're seeing the dailies before we see them. And we're getting these notes or concerned about things like, you know, that how shiny the whale is. But uh, the, the, the Blu-ray for $8.99 is well worth picking up just for the extras alone. Not to mention a really, probably the best print of this film that exists. So yeah. that being said, uh, sorry, go back to Bruce the Shark. <laughs> There's a whole 
bunch of deleted scenes on the on the Blu-ray. Oh yeah. And uh, I found a, you know I saw I found a set of them a while back on YouTube, and there and it, I'm telling you the rental is four dollars. It's three ninety nine. This is worth the extra five bucks. I know it is just the just to have. Well, first of all, let's be honest here, dude. We like streaming, and it, it's cool when it's it, it's all it's available, and it makes things a little more exciting. You know, it, it kind of helps us find things that we want to share with you guys, and makes things easier for you guys to kind of follow along if you aren't familiar with the movie or don't own it. I bought the Blu-ray, and I still rented it because for the sake of the show. But I'm happy I got the Blu-ray because they're again for a movie that came out in 1978. There's a lot of extras on there. Oh man! And a time where they weren't coveting that stuff. Yeah, you dude, you're gonna dig it. One of the things too, and we'll we'll get to the 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 skiing things. I want to get to the promotional aspect of it, which kind of leads us into the one of the most iconic moments of the movie. Jaws was a fucking phenomenon. It didn't go anywhere. It just and you know, there's a line in the trailer for Jaws 2, and it's fucking iconic line, man. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, Jaws. And you've already heard it because I put it at the beginning of the episode, but that line. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, and you don't even see a, you don't see a, a fin, you don't see anything. You right away you hear the voice and that line, and they come out of black. You know what it is, and it's like, dude, it's so gold. That was part of the trailer that kind of was like the building block of their whole marketing campaign. And once the trailer came out, and you saw the ski boat and the skier behind that became the iconic thing that you saw like on the original poster with the shark coming from beneath the girl swimming in the very beginning. It's on the poster. It's on the DVD. It's on the Blu-ray. It's on the laser disc. It's been everywhere. It's the shot that maybe just as iconic as the original movie poster. Oh yeah. And this scene, the very beginning, you, you, the, the shark attacks and takes out the divers you, you see in the beginning because they're nowhere to be found. Bunch of Richies. <laughs> That's how they get discovered. Their their boat's just been abandoned. And But this is the first time you see any on-screen deaths. And everything about it, the way they shoot the boat, wide, mediums, in the boat, with the skier, it's just this wonderfully edited piece. The way they're cutting back and forth to the people on land, the couple, on land, him with right. the guitar. The, the old lady on her porch watching it. Yeah, I mean, Just it's, watching. it's a nice sequence. I mean, it's like four different things you're seeing. You're seeing uh, Tina and her date, who we already discovered as Miss Amityville. You meet her at the very beginning when we follow Chief Brody into this soiree they're having in, at, at, uh, at the club. And uh, the woman on the porch who's watching, I think it's her niece, right? Her niece is out there skiing. Yes. And they're going kind of between those three things and the pilot of the boat. It's so fucking good. And it's just this really great unnerving aspect of it. And the music, dude, his score oh. is not unlike that driving a beat score that Williams uses at the end when they're fighting with the shark and on the orca and, and, and Bruce is like pulling the, them further out to sea and he's, and it's got this, the swashbuckling, yes, you know, cue, right? It's 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 a lot like that. It's upbeat. It's it's selling you the false narrative of what's about to fucking happen, <laughs> and the fin breaks from the surface, and it's just, and you know, right away, you're like, that's a lot bigger <laughs> than the one we saw in the first movie, right? 
it, just the just where it's placed in the foreground too, right? It's yes. like it's perfectly placed in the frame. I mean, where it first breaks the plane of the water. I mean, it's it's a really really effective moment, and it, dude, it really got, you know it gets your heart like pumping, man. It's it really does. It it sets the tone for the rest of the movie, yeah. and and it, it yeah. never really lets down from there. I mean, it, the movie really moves. That's, you know, to me, there's no draggy stuff in it. And it all starts with that sequence. When the skier falls in the water, and this is one of those things too, if you ever spend any time on a boat or and you, not so much in the ocean, but on a lake, when she peels back around the boat after she sees that her, you know, her friend doesn't see her anywhere. And it's not uncommon. You go water skiing, man, you end up in the drink, <laughs> you know, and you swing back around and pick yeah, them up. Of course. So when she, when she comes back around, I, I, they were, they were so careful to kind of show the kind of care a boat pilot's going to have when they're coming back to pick somebody up that fell in the water. She doesn't come speeding in. She kind of like shuts off her engine, kind of coasts in. Man, when that moment happens, and that's something else too I love about this movie. They only did it once in the original, where they had a where they had a startling moment that that wasn't music driven. Right, it happens like three or four times in this movie where there's there's no indication, and and also the framing is telling you that nothing's going to happen right now, and then it does. Yeah, there's so much that that why this movie it was kind of like set a standard for studio movies that eventually led into all those slasher movies we were kind of alluding to that would come later on. That's the kind of thing we would go for those, 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 that false sense of comfort and ease. And then boom, they got you. What have I always talked about with movies? <laughs> when you're seeing gasoline being poured out, Oh, it's never pink. They never take the time to dye it. No, it's never the right color. But fuck if they did it right in this movie. Yeah, no, they totally got it right. I was laughing when I saw it. I was like, oh, Corey's going to fucking, Corey is going <laughs> to fucking scream when he sees this. Little, I was little girl screaming, man. I, I was like, I just saw BTS performing. I'm kidding. That's for all you young kids. Right? Anyway, it was like, and she stands up and she dumps the gasoline everywhere and while trying to dump it on the fish. And then, of course, lights the flare and does what, and then that's what happens. And I love the reaction to this incident, to the accident. By the woman sitting on the porch. Yes. She kind of stands up in disbelief, but she's so in shock. And she's just kind of like, what? Like, she's not like overreacting to it. I feel like they didn't tell her the boat was going to explode. <laughs> right? Right. So good. And right when that happens, you know, Tina's running around with her boyfriend, Eddie, and they come up closer to watch her ski. They see the explosion too. We're all kind of like, whoa, shit. It's... <laughs> What was the last time you saw something blow up in this series? It was a shark blowing up. Right. At the end of the first one. Right. And it wasn't fiery. It was fleshy. It was compressed air. It was, this was like, that was a real explosion. Yeah. And it's well done, man. And they stay wide. That's the thing too. This, like I mentioned, this movie really gives you a much bigger world and it really helps make it feel like its own movie and a very different movie from the first. What what's cool about it is sure there's you know there's some familiarities with Murray Hamilton as the mayor and the town council nobody believes Brody don't close the beach that whole you know we do have that element which but they don't d dwell on that the, the action to me thankfully it carries you away from that because it, it's kind of like come on you don't believe this guy I mean and and I think it's really tastefully I mean it's it's really well done the way they do it like. Murray wants to believe, but he knows that he's just not that guy. He's just not strong enough to like shut down the beat. He just can't do it. He, he 
He won't. He won't go against the council because he's afraid that he'll get bounced, <laughs> really, right. uh, even though he knows that Brody will get bounced. Right. But they, they don't lean on that part of the story, which is great. Uh, they go another way, which, again, leads us back to the slasher of it all, the shark hunting. And the shark is hunting, right? Like Brody even asked the uh, Hooper sort of replacement <laughs> when she shows up, you know, do sharks hunt for revenge? <laughs> you know, I mean, he does right. ask the question, right? So. Right. And then, and then we've got this group of teens, uh, you know, all they're kind of doing their uh, boat thing, and it sort of the movie sort of becomes about them. Yeah. And then Brody is hunting the serial killer. It's a really fun spin on that whole thing because it could have just been a straight up like you know we could we could have gotten exactly what we got before, but I, I think that they did traverse a lot of those pitfalls that they could have fallen into. Oh yeah. What they did so well with the movie is that they recognized it, it was like they, they knew they wanted to do something different and they, and they, and they carried it out. And, and I think if they weren't, didn't have their, you know, from the from that Zanuck and, and Brown didn't have the convictions that they had saying, this is the movie we're trying to make. And they may have really suffered from having a director change, but I think it's consistent. I am curious. I really want to read that book now. I'm, I'm dying to read. Oh, you're going to want to read Do you want once you get into these extras, you're going to really want to read it because <laughs> Gott, Gottlieb is all over this thing. And you, and you mentioned the the confrontation with the council people and Murray Hamilton kind of pushing back and kind of like not wanting to leaning that direction. There's a cut scene and I'm going to go and say this. I'm not ruining anything to kind of like just to prove the point. Not everybody in this group is the same assholes they were in the first movie. Murray, as you know, Murray Hamilton doesn't want to fire him, doesn't want to fire Brody. Right. But I like the reasoning behind doing it this time. This isn't just like, oh, no, no, shut the beaches down for the sake of money. It was, he shot the fucking place up. Dude. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. He like, when he starts freaking out on the tower and he goes full fucking gonzo and he comes down yeah. and he's shooting at the bluefish and he literally, dude, that kid is coming out and he shoots right past <laughs> right? that kid into the water. And then he's waving the gun around, even though it's, he lost it a bit. Someone's got some untreated trauma from the first movie he hasn't dealt with, right? Right. And that's another thing too, is there's a moment talking about one of my favorite ECUs of all time, because when it happens and I'm like, yes, extreme close-up for those that want to geek out with us here. When Brody is putting cyanide in his loads. Oh yeah. And he's doing the whole wax thing. Fuck dude. You reminded me of Silver Bullet. <laughs> I love that motherfucking movie so much when it happens. And I'm like going, this movie is so good. This movie is so good. And, and I've never seen, I mean, I, and we have, but I don't ever, I can't recall a moment in the movie where they could not have put a smaller lens on there and could not have gotten closer to the action. Right. Dude, when he lights that candle and he's dripping wax on each and every yes. bullet after he's put, filled them with cyanide, I was like, God, dude, they would never shoot something like this now. You would never get this kind of, you, know, you wouldn't get this kind of detail. You would never no. come in this close. You would no. never see it up and, you know, personal like this. Second unit would never take the time to do this because first of all, they used a lens on this, had to have been like a 12 mil, maybe a 15 mil. Right something super small that it would have only had one purpose and it would have been for that shot. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, again, that's probably Joe Alves, right? The, the, the production designer who was also the second unit director. <laughs> yes. was like, oh yeah, we need it. We need a 10 mil for what? For sure. I just need a 10 mil. Just trust me on this. And it's super sharp too. So, you know, they weren't using some other dumb lens and then kind of pushing in on it. No, 
and there's no optical blow up. And it's, and it's like one of my favorite moments. And what's great about the, at this point, Brody is, he's afraid to reveal to anybody he thinks it's a shark. Even when his deputy comes in, he still covers up. He's doing the cyanide loads and everything like that for his, his revolver. He still covers everything up and he doesn't want to show it off. He doesn't want anybody to know for a couple of reasons. He doesn't want people to think he's crazy. And he also doesn't want anybody to panic. Right. And so he, when he finally gets that proof of the photograph and goes to cancel people, like, well, he's been holding it in so long. That's why he just kind of unloads. And he does seem like a crazy person the way he comes in. Yeah. And he has a line in it. Hey, I know what a shark looks like, man. And I ain't go through that hell again. Right. You know, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it's a line. that's so good. I'm not going to attempt to recreate it. It's like you've, you side with him. We know, we know what the fuck's going on and we're siding with him. But at the same time, you're going, oh, wait, settle down, chief. <laughs> Bro, Brody, come on. You're blowing it, dude. You know how these guys react to panic. <laughs> dude, don't do it. Don't do it, Brody. I love the scene on the beach, right, where he's up in the tower and the little girl's like, it's a shark tower. I saw it down in Florida. And I'm like, you are in Florida. <laughs> you are in Florida. <laughs> you know, the thing that I always love about both of these movies is you get really f- real sort of performances from very tiny kids. Because the kid who plays Sean in this, yeah. I don't remind, remember if it is the same kid. I don't think it is. No, it's not. Neither one of them. Neither one of the Brody kids are. Right. Neither one of the brothers are the same from the first movie. No, no. But the kid who's playing Sean is great, dude. Oh, yes. When he's flipped up on uh, that upside down that boat, dude, and he's terrified and he's holding that fin for dear life after he's just witnessed that nice girl who put him on the boat. Dude, her death is maybe the most disturbing in the entire movie. Seriously. Fucking trauma, dude. Seriously. Good dude. God, dude. He's looking right down the barrel, dude, and that's it. That kid is going to be ruined for life. And I love the way he's like, daddy, they made me come. He's like, oh, I bet they did. <laughs> it's just, you know, the, the thing between Scheider and the, the kids is great. All, as it was in the first movie. You know, I mean, what a cool dad. Yeah. One of the best moments in the first movie, and I don't think we've talked about it on the show before because we've been pretty good about steering away from talking about the original it's not an arm twisting thing for if anybody knows me and listens to the show knows what an emotional fucker I am, but top three favorite moments in the first jaws is that moment, man. And Brody's sitting there with Sean when he's little and they're, and they're, they're mimicking each other. Yeah, totally. And and, and that was that they do a moment like that in this right after Brody shot up the beach, everybody's gone except for Sean and he's there helping him pick up the shells. Yep. It's just, they do the moment without it feeling like they're shoehorning it in, trying to have a moment like that they had in the first movie. Right. They don't make a moment of the moment. They just let it happen. Yeah. There's a little boy being loyal to his father and not really recognizing what he just did and just saying, that's my dad. I'm here to help him because he needs help. Right. When you talk about the trauma that Sean has after he sees what happens, um, hanging on for dear light on the, on the uh, capsized boat, Boy, I'm sorry, man. And I know I'm going to be like, I might get some mail about this, but I think they one up Michael's moment in the pond of the first movie. Oh, yeah. I think it's a more memorable moment. Um, yes, we all remember that shark swimming by Michael in the pond of the first movie. And that meet that, that swashbuckling cue that we heard from John Williams. It, this is just like, dude, no, man. He just saw somebody get straight up eaten right in front of him and, 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 
he saw the shark's tonsils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really effective too, and um, yeah. the, the way that they shot it again, I don't want to. They get into in a very in depth conversation about that sequence in the extras, so you know what I'm talking about if you see it. Let's talk about the kids, man. Like just for a moment, yes. like Fuck the way yes. that, I mean, the, just the young actors that they have, because it's kind of like, it's, it's the B story, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's like cruising, dude. It's like, it's like the car culture. It's like American graffiti. Yeah. These instead they're on the water and in their catamarans and their sloops. And does she like me? Do you think she likes me? I mean, dude, that scene between yeah. um, Keith Gordon and the other kid where he's like, she's drooling over you, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, the, all the interaction between all those kids and we, we get Keith Gordon and that maybe that was the first big thing I'd ever seen Keith Gordon in. I mean, I didn't really I know so. at the time, but because I think he did right after a couple of years after this was dressed to kill, but Keith Gordon, yeah, I mean, you get the girl best known, this is a funny, I was like, dude, I never thought I would have a Hello Larry tie-in with any movie that we watched. <laughs> Yet here it is because she is the older, she's Ruthie's older sister um, on Hello Larry. Uh, and then she went on to be Angel in the uh, Fantastic B film, Angel. And if you know what I'm talking about, it's not David Boreanaz. <laughs> it has nothing nope. to do with Buffy. No. When I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, that really looks like is that? And I'm like, Oh my God, it is. Cause at first I was like, Oh, they got a kind of a Tatum O'Neill, Christy McNichol hybrid to play this part. Right. Cause it, yeah. it, it very much has a vibe. All those kids, like they have a vibe of like little darlings. Right. Or, right. you know, any of those kind of uh, movies, but the cast of young kids, they're so good and they're so believable together. Right. You, you can yeah. see them, you can see the wheels turning. You, you probably, you know, see this as a father, you know, girls are starting to be important and, you know, Get yep. guys are, you know, formulating their plans and, uh, <laughs> but it's really a fun movie and all of them turning great performances and they all get their moment, if not before the shark destroys <laughs> all the boats <laughs> in one fail swoop. But while they're basically trapped on an island, you know, an island of wrecked boats and being towed out to sea, uh, you know, headed toward Terminal Island, there's some nice acting by everybody involved. Right. You know, they, and they're all given their moment to kind of shine, which I, I, again, I think is, has a lot to do with jean of Schwark. It's funny, the things that we're pointing out about this movie, shouldn't be a surprise to you and I that he directed Somewhere in Time, because right. that movie is all about intimacy and, and, the, and, the, and the micro and, and, and having those moments. And, and, you know, you can see him using, interweaving some of that stuff into Jaws too, which is weird because it's not, you would never think about it, but it's the things that stick out in our heads, oddly right. enough, in a, in a movie called Jaws 2. Right. <laughs> right? All the kids in this are so good. And like we talked about, and I, I think we all, we, we connected to them so much because they had a, like I said, they look like our, they look like our friends in the neighborhood. That's what the thing about it is they, right. you eat, and all the kids were so believable with the exception of the, you know, of Larry, the, the only arrogant one, the rest of them are pretty like their, their confidence is kind of like, Oh, I don't know. All the, all the guys are, I don't know. She won't go for me. And then when they, you know, the one guy, right. When he gets this, when, when she, he gets the response that he was hoping for, she's like, yeah, I'll go with you on your boat. It was like, right. It was like, dude, you, right. You felt that. <laughs> right. You do. You were, how, how happy were you for him? You felt that. Cause you're like, it felt real. Right. 
the choices that were made, I know we talked about the more intimate moments of the movie, of the first movie as a relationship to the wideness of this movie. This movie has that stuff. This movie has those close moments. And it's once, once we are right there with the kids, once they, you know, they have their first incident and then Michael gets hurt and they have, and they take Michael back in to, to land to get him medical help. Um, oh, they have to kind of pull soon after that, there's another incident where they have to pull all their stuff together the way they group together is like going, that would have been me and my friends if something traumatic happened like that. We would have been like, hey, we got to do this. We got to do this. There's a handful, like you said, there's a handful of people that have, now not everybody's reacting the same way. And some of them had to pull people in and kind of like, all right, I got to covet you a little bit and we'll let you know things are going to be okay. But they never let up in this movie. You know, just when you think things are chill, something happens and it's not, and it comes out of nowhere. You're not expecting it again. Our, you know, our, our cinema, uh, cinema language is what it is. And when framing is a certain way, we're expected to see something happen or not happen. And there's a lot of framing of things not happening when something happens and it's jarring. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why the movie works so well. But yeah, the kids are fucking great because that from there's a moment in the movie where they're having all these this this whole little scuba diving team. Oh, right. Good Lord, dude. I forgot about that. Yeah. As the kids are getting ready to take their hobies out and everything like that. And as they're going by, they're yelling at the diving instructor and, and they're kind of like, Hey, yeah. He's like, Oh, I'm after some lobster. I, and he goes, Oh, save me some. And then Donna Wilkes, you know, Jackie Peters, who is the the cousin visiting Amity Island. She still already feels so comfortable because you always had a friend like that, right? You know, a, a friend, sure. your friends in the neighborhood whose cousin was visiting that summer. And she's like, and she goes, guys, I like mine with lots of butter that she's already comfortable with the group. And, and it just felt, again, it just felt like kids are the neighborhood. And again, it's another reason why the movie works so well. Fast forward to all the slasher movies you're going to start seeing in the early eighties and mid eighties, everybody's super pretty looking. And they're like in the, they're all so stereotypes, stereotypes that you're kind of, who gives a fuck? I don't care about you. Everybody, everyone, the kids you care about, even asshole Larry, you care about him. Right. Anyway, so the scuba diving thing happens. There's an incident that happens and a uh, shark isn't able to eat any scuba divers, but he immediately turns and this POV thing where we're sitting, basically like we're on shark cam, we're sitting on top of the shark and he turns and they pan the camera up, right? And there in the far distance is our group of kids and all their sailboats and Hobie cats. From that point on, this is where it's a slasher movie. Yep. And he's following the teenagers from that point on. And it's fucking great. And then it's all about the kids from that point forward. There's a moment in this too, that you'll see in the trailer. And if you've seen the movie, um, I want to talk about it. I don't think I'm, I, I hope I'm not ruining anything for anybody, but the helicopter moment in this. Oh yeah. It's in the trailer. I mean, I feel like, I feel like everybody who knows Jaws 2 knows yeah. about this moment because, um, it, it's, it's an iconic, it's, it's one of the iconic moments from this movie, which you're not spoiling anything. Go ahead. No, there's a reveal of the shark again, no musical cue to get there. And then it's at an angle. You don't expect to see anything, but once the shark has a hold of the helicopter and he's bringing it down. Yeah. It's so well executed. You, there's nothing about you're going, Oh, fuck me, dude. For a, again, for a series where it's known for having a shark that maybe doesn't look as real to some people or just can't get, can't suspend their disbelief well enough to, to enjoy that part of it. 
everything that leads up to it, man. When the helicopter pilots like throw me a rope, I'm going to tow you guys in. Every all the all the teens are like fucking super stoked. They're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be rescued, and they're cheering when when the copter pilot like is able to get the rope and everything like that. It was just, dude, it's so good. Even you're like, cool, they're going to get away, but they don't. It's just like you really. You, I've seen the movie so many times. I still like going. I know it's coming and I always forget when it happens and <laughs> you're thinking, all right, you're going to get away. It's dude. It, no, I just say it's an, it's an iconic moment that literally I was, I literally felt myself waiting for it. Like, Oh yeah, the helicopter's still coming. The helicopter's still, you know, it's one of those things. And it's funny because you're like, Oh God, come on a shark, take it out of the helicopter. Give me a break. But look at that type helicopter. And again, you'll see when you watch the extras, <laughs> there's a reason why that particular helicopter was chosen. Right. It's a real copter that they use for search and rescue. And so it's all hundred percent believable. I just wanted to ask you, dude, how terrifying is it when they're trying to pull unconscious Michael out of the water? Oh yeah. They got his vest, they're pulling him and dude, the shark is coming and they literally get his legs, dude, his legs almost get ripped off by the mechanical shark. It's terrifying. It's that close, right? When it happened, I freaked out. I totally freaked out. I forgot. I totally forgot about it. Me too. <laughs> and it just like, it just comes by. And unlike that moment when you're out on the Jaws attraction at Universal, where it kind of comes up on you, it almost skims the tram. Right. This thing, this shark, that's the thing too, man. That was that must have been really difficult for them to do because just he he just comes up and like you said, they pull his legs out just before the the shark comes by and then and they stick with it the whole time and you think they're gonna cut away and they don't. No, man. the camera doesn't move, man. And it's like, holy shit, dude. You know he was fucking terrified. Yes. I don't know. There again, there's a realism about the movie. Like uh, and again, if you're if your suspension of disbelief is firmly in place for the shark. All the little things like that where they're slipping and they can't get a hold of them because look, anybody that's worn a vest and has gotten like that and has been in the water, you know, they're not easy. They're very slick because that nylon is very slippery once it gets yeah. wet. So you, you're watching them struggle to pull them up. You're like going, that's not movie fodder, man. That shit's real. <laughs> no, so, it took me right. It took me right back to Quint saying, I'll never wear a life vest. Chief. Right. Exactly. <laughs> God. You know, I, I want, so I'm glad you brought up Quint. People wonder why they didn't, why Spielberg didn't do the sequel. And he's, he was considering it to the point where he had hammered out a screenplay that he was going to do. Like in 76, he had hammered out a screenplay, but his contractual obligation to close encounters of the third kind forced him to not be able to do it. That was wild. When I, when I heard about it, it was like, it was tied to, I think he was kind of like, pseudo based with um with Quint's speech about the Indianapolis. And I don't I don't know any more about it than that. And and I was like, man, that would have been cool. So I'm wondering if they talk about it at all in the Jaws 2 log, the book. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, totally. I mean I'm I'm sure they must. Um one thing I'm gonna say about the teen actors, I just gotta throw this out there. Larry, who is uh Murray Hamilton, the mayor's son mm -hmm. and kind of the biggest douchebag on the island uh, was played by Dave Elliott, who I've actually worked with. He's a construction coordinator in film. Now, he's done a lot of films, done a lot of Red Cra West Craven stuff. I worked with him on Geely. But dude, I never until yesterday realized that David Elliott was Dave Elliott, the guy I worked with. <laughs> until so I looked it up and I'm like, 
and I saw his now picture because I kept thinking that guy looks and he sounds familiar. And I looked and I was like, Oh my, no way. That's, that's Dave Elliott. And I looked and <laughs> sure as shit, it's that same Dave Elliott. So yeah, weird, small world. I would have never known. I mean, he was 19, but again, like we we're talking about the kids, they all look like kids that you do. They look like, right. They look like all the older kids that grew up in our neighborhood. Like, you know, that were a few years older than us. Cause I, I mean, we were probably Sean's age or a little older than Sean. Right. So it's what a wild. Right. Which is another reason why this movie is so relatable to us. I was the youngest kid in my neighborhood and all the kids were closer to the age of the teens in this than they were my age. And so it was easy for me to relate to everybody. And I remember one of my, one of the kids in the neighborhood saying one of the reasons before I saw the movie, one of the reasons why I like this movie so much is because it's about teenagers. I can relate to that because I, I could see myself sitting on that boat. Yeah. And I heard that and it resonated with me when I finally saw the movie and I'm like, yeah, I see all my friends on the, on the boat. And then when they take, when they take Sean along, I'm like, Oh, there I am. <laughs> You know, right. Right. Then there was the one, no, I'll take him. And they're like, okay, great, great. Okay. Take him. Yeah. He's fine. Take him. <laughs> you know, Michael yeah, just it, like shoved Sean off like yesterday's news. And you mentioned Sean and his whole little moment with Scheider at the end where he said, they made me go. <laughs> he has another really funny moment too, where Michael's sneaking out of the house. Yep. And I remember laughing so hard and the whole crowd just love this moment because it's one of the, it's the first moment of levity in the entire movie because, you know, it, you're not really, think, nothing's really funny yet. You've already seen some deaths. Well, Michael's trying to sneak out of the house and they're being grounded and mom and dad are still sleeping and Sean sees him sneaking out. He's like, where are you going? You going sailing? He's like, yeah, maybe. He's like, I want to go. He's like, no, you can't stay here. He's like, Michael. <laughs> Just a- just like he's going to, like, he's trying to wake the folks up to kind of bust him. He's all right, you can come. Right. That's such a, such a such real a little brother, thing little brother do, moment. Dude. dude, it's so real. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going without me, big brother. <laughs> I'm not staying home today. Fuck that. That ain't happening. We could wax poetic about this movie and everybody that's seen it, seen it more than once and they know it's good and they know all the things that we're pointing out. I think we were kind of leaning more and not saying too much more because we want everybody, if you haven't seen it, we want you to experience it for the first time. Yeah. And as everybody else is watching Jaws this weekend, because it's the 4th of July in a couple of days, we're hoping that along with that, follow it up with Jaws too. Yeah. You can go right into it. Right Right into into it. it. It's been three years in between storylines, but they don't make a meal of it. And And just me, how rare was that in that time, that frame, uh, of our lives where a sequel didn't throw some kind of throwback, a flashback moment in there from the original movies that remind you about something. Right. Yeah. We don't, we didn't need it. We didn't need it because everybody saw Jaws a hundred fucking times (laughs) on top of the fact that we didn't need it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, there's no room for it. They didn't wedge it in there because they didn't spoon feed people back then. Didn't have to. Nope. I look, I'm just going to say, this is the best of the number twos that we, that we watched this, this, uh, in my opinion, the best number two that we watched. And that, and that, you know, that's over Khan and U.S. Marshals, which I love. It's over Scary Movie, which I watch a lot. And it's over Grease too, which uh, again, you know, is my 12 year old <laughs> repeat summer rewatch. Right. Every fucking day for like three months. But this movie I watch and I enjoy it as much as I did when I saw it. And this movie more than any of the other movies, 
literally took me right back to being like eight years old. Yep. And, and how I felt. 100%. When we were sitting around talking about it, which we didn't even consider covering the movie. I think we were like, did we, I think we have, have we recorded anything yet? No, we already laid our four movies out. Right. right. And we were like, what are we going to do on, you know, for the 4th of July? And I think uh, when we said, well, everybody else is going to do Jaws. And you, you said, well, you should just do Jaws too. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, was, it like, was just like, fuck yeah. It seemed like a perfect leader. And part of me was like, and it was at the same time, we're like one, wait, why didn't either one of us pick this to begin with? <laughs> I thought that was super funny that we neither one of us chose it. But we thought, we thought this is perfect timing. Everybody else is doing Jaws. Let's do Jaws too. Like Freddie noted, this movie is $8.99 on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it doesn't come with the digital. I know just for, for you uh, uh, minimalists, it's, you got you to gotta spend the money and you got to put a disc up on yourself. But as Freddie noted, the BTS on it are pretty substantial, especially for a movie of this age. And again, surprising that because um, in 2016, man, movie studios putting any re-releases out on optical discs, they don't give a fuck right, about dude. extras. I, I was shocked this didn't just come with a trailer and chapter menu <laughs> and <laughs> done. I think right? I, I think I picked it up and I, I, I honestly don't think I ever even looked at the extras. I think I just bought it because I was like, oh, I love Jaws 2. I'm going to watch it. And, until we talked about doing it and I went and dug it out, I didn't realize all that stuff was on it. I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> Good lord! Dude, you know, I'm very, I'm excited to dig into it, and I, like I said, I've already seen the extras, and there's like a lot of extra, uh, deleted scenes, excuse me, and they're like, I don't know, eight, eight and a half minutes worth of extras in there on those uh, in that reel itself, and which is pretty, again, substantial. Who's hanging on to this stuff for forty years? Yeah, there, there it is. You know, eight ninety nine. Eight, yes, man. <laughs> it's like you, you look, just don't drink two lattes this week. And enjoy this back to this the stuff on the BTS. It's what I'm saying. Make your coffee at home for make your coffee at home twice. Pick up Jaws too. Check it out. You won't be sorry. The, the the bonus stuff is as good as the movie. There you go. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can follow it at Karate Pod. Or if you want to follow us on Letterbox, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you Patreon supporters. That is patreon.com slash kitg podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Deputy Hendricks on Letterboxd. That's Deputy Hendricks. Oh, no, wait. It's, it's Tom Cody. You know who you know I'm lying. Tom Cody at Letterboxd. Priority. <laughs>